just fold up this tiny computer and shove it into this big slot in this garage type thing. Inserting your computer like a really big floppy disk. Like a Nintendo cartridge. You punched a button and it ejected your power book. This is 20 Max for 2020. I'm Jason Snell. Number 19, the PowerBook Duo. Let's go back to the early 1990s and consider some weighty matters about laptops. Apple's first portable Mac, the unimaginatively named Macintosh Portable, weighed 16 pounds. Apple's first real portable Mac, the PowerBook 100 series, weighed less than half as much, but that was still a lot. And inside Apple, the question became, how could we make an even lighter laptop? Because while it was a miracle that I could put my PowerBook 160 in my backpack in grad school, let me tell you, it was still quite a load. Here's Andy Anatko. I think it was a very textbook Apple design where they start with, what are the pain points of using a laptop right now? And anybody who wasn't around back then, boy, take a look at any machine made back then. And it was like a volume of the encyclopedia. Like a a volume of Britannica is what you would be hauling around with you. John Gruber. They clearly had the scent of where things were going in a fairly distant future, which is that you should be able to have a computer that isn't the weight of like the OED in your backpack. You know, you should have a computer that is actually as portable as a normal book. And you listen to me say that now and you're like, well, duh. But in 1992, that was revolutionary. It really was. I mean, it was, it just was nothing like, like the laptops of the time. Shelley Brisbane. I mean, if you look at it today, it's not very svelte, but, you know, it's 25 years ago, so what do you want? John Syracuse. This was so tiny, it was mind-blowing. <laughs> this laptop was so small. And because it was so small, we were all willing to accept the fact, we're like, okay, but it's it doesn't have lots of stuff on it, but it's so tiny. You can see how the idea of a machine that is small enough that you could almost forget that you have it with you, light enough that you would take it with you, whether you're necessarily absolutely needed to have it with you that day or not, that was going to be a really enticing thing for a lot of people. What Apple's early laptops had in common was, just like today's Apple laptops, they were more or less complete Macs. The concept was, let's engineer a Mac that's like the one on your desk. But it comes in a single package with screen, keyboard, pointing device, and battery. My PowerBook 160 did everything my Mac SE did, and much more. The PowerBook Duo got small because it wasn't trying to be the Mac on your desk. It was the 1992 equivalent of the original MacBook Air or the one-port MacBook, a device that was compromised in numerous ways, all in the quest to be as thin and light as possible. It had a shrunken-down keyboard and trackball, a single serial port, and no headphone jack or floppy drive. Now, today we chuckle at the outrage that was leveled against the original iMac in 1997 for daring not to include a floppy drive. But in 1992, floppies were the currency of the realm, except on the Duo. That was my Mac user computer for a while, which was kind of great for me because, again, it was a much lighter laptop than the other options available. And I got the full desktop dock, I got the portable dock, I had all sorts of accessories for that thing, <laughs> and I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it was underpowered, 
But I felt like it was a fair trade-off because you did have all of the sort of physical attributes of a desktop machine, but then you could you could take it away with you. And the only time it was kind of annoying is you're somewhere remote and you're trying to do something that maybe the, the computer was a little underpowered for or if the battery was dying or something like that. But overall, I enjoyed it. I liked the design a lot. Here's Tidbit's co-founder, Tanya Angst. It's my favorite laptop of all time so far. And that's because it was small. For me, as a just very slightly petite person, it was as though Apple had made a portable that was exactly my size. And I could carry it around with me without just breaking my back. So I liked that a lot. While I owned it, I was actually writing my very first book, And so this laptop started coming with me to work. I would take it on the bus and do a little bit of writing on the bus. And then on my lunch break, I would probably do a little more writing. Because it was so light, it really made it possible for me to create this manuscript. And for that and for its light size, it's just always going to be a very fond memory. Because if you actually present someone with this computer, it looks comical, right? Like, it doesn't have hardly any ports. It's got this weird proprietary connector on the back. And and the the fact that there weren't the usual connectors that you would expect on a portable Mac, you would expect to have a floppy drive, for example, that wasn't there, an ADB port, and maybe a printer port. But there's just no room because this computer is so darn small. Uh, and then it's like, okay, well, if you have none of these ports, how is this going to be useful? You You just start with that basic premise of shouldn't we be able to make a Mac laptop you know what's the bare minimum well you need a screen you need a keyboard you need a pointing device you need a battery and then you know you just start taking stuff out from there it was ambitious it was technically amazing and i can tell you from supporting people who have it it wasn't a great computer (laughs) like the laptop was really slow and small the trackball was very strange and recessed and the buttons were small and when you docked it it wasn't really as fast as a good uh, desktop computer, and when you use it as a laptop, it wasn't as good as a good power book. It seemed like the best of both worlds, but it really wasn't particularly good at any of them. So why do it? The PowerBook line was already tremendously successful. Why try to outdo it with the Duo? It really was, in some ways, worth this monumental effort to have one computer that was an underpowered laptop and a more desktop-powered desktop as one computer that you docked they even if it meant a mountain of you know like dongle town concessions compared to the obvious question i think a lot of maybe younger people would think is well why wouldn't you just have two why wouldn't you get two computers right why not just have a laptop and a desktop and let them each be each and it's that was really and cost aside you know that just that that was an enormous expense especially the laptop part of it 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 just was an enormous technical hassle and stuff was never ever in sync no matter how good your personal habits were of every time i leave the office remember i you know drag this this and that over to this this and that and i'll have a copy of everything up to date you'd always be out of out of sync somewhere so having that one thing that you could drag around if i've got the duo itself with me i've got my stuff 
was an enormous appeal. It's easy to forget in this era of instant cloud syncing that in the 90s, moving files between computers was painful, especially if one of those computers didn't even have a built-in floppy drive. John Gruber is exactly right about how much harder it was back then to live the two-computer life. Plus, computers were expensive. The entire premise of the duo was that it was a desktop and laptop all in one. And to truly achieve that, Apple had to build something unique in its history— a plastic enclosure with the standard array of Mac ports, a floppy drive, a big internal hard drive, expansion slots, even an additional processor in some cases. It was everything that kept the Duo from being a desktop Mac on its own, and at its heart was a place for you to insert your Duo to change it from laptop into desktop. And as the Duo dock, just fold up this tiny computer and shove it into this big slot in this like garage type thing, and this expensive, creaky mechanism will try to suck the laptop out of your hand. Here's Adam C. Angst. Inserting your computer like a really big floppy disk. You, you punched a button and it ejected your power book. Being like a Nintendo cartridge that you stick into this dock that would give you ports and the networking and all the other accessory ports that you would absolutely need. And leaving behind everything that makes it big and bulky and a pain in the butt. That was a, it was a really attractive thing. And then suddenly you have a desktop computer because this thing has a power supply and a floppy drive and all the ports that you would expect and a monitor port. And then you could put the monitor on top. And so you had the best of both worlds. And your monitor was still sitting on top of the desktop dock and you could take away your very small power book. You amazing college professor who can afford this very expensive computer would have such an incredibly tiny laptop when you went to the cafe and had deep thoughts. And then when you come back to your professor's office, you would have a full-fledged fancy Mac computer. Now, for people who remember the 90s, I think the Duo Dock was more like a front-loading VCR that takes a laptop instead of a video cassette. Anyway, no matter what metaphor you prefer, it was a decade where Apple never skimped on custom intercapped names for their products. And so that system that locked the Duo in place when you inserted it in the Duo Dock was called Power Latch. The Duo Dock was weird. Even the reviews back in the 90s said it was weird. And Apple never did make a docking station for its computers again, which isn't to say that users haven't wanted them. It's an idea, you know, comes back time and time again. People think about stuff like this. What What are we dealing with today, if not the same thing? It's it's nice to have a MacBook Pro that has uh, four USB 3, USB C style connectors that can all which can do super high speed networking and 4K displays. But still, one of the most popular things to buy with it is just a simple hundred dollar hunk of whatever that you plug into that that gives you the practical array of ports that you need to live, drive, and survive. So it was a it was a funny device, and I think Apple really never went back that way ever again. Certainly, there are plenty of third parties who've, in essence, given us mini docks over the years. I think it's too clumsy for Apple, but the concept of being able to have, I mean, like the old, you know, original one USB port MacBooks, to be able to plug them into some kind of docking thing and suddenly get a little bit more in the way of ports out of it, you know, for some people that was a big deal. The first PowerBook Duo was introduced in the fall of 1992, and the last one was introduced three years later. The lifespan of the entire product line from introduction to discontinuation was less than five years. But it does live on. You can find it in reruns of News Radio, Seinfeld, and the quintessential mid-90s films The Net and Hackers. What could be more futuristic than a Duo doc? 
If the Mac of the 1990s was a niche product with a rabid fan base, the PowerBook Duo was the niche within the niche. The people who loved it really loved it. But it was the regular PowerBook series that ended up dominating. Boy, they had to make a lot of concessions, you know, and it, it ultimately, you know, there's a reason we don't remember the whole series of PowerBook duos <laughs> taking the world by storm in the 90s. The duo line was discontinued in early 1997, just before Steve Jobs had a chance to kill it himself. The insight behind the product's design was right. Everyone wants a thinner and lighter laptop, always. And the PowerBook Duo's direct descendants are the original MacBook Air, the 12-inch MacBook. Those are two other laptops, horribly compromised, sacrificing features in exchange for thinness and lightness. But if you wanted a docking accessory for either of them, you'd need to turn to someone other than Apple. This has been 20 Macs for 2020. It was written by me, Jason Snell. My thanks to John Gruber, John Syracusa, Adam and Tanya Engst, Shelley Brisbane, and Andy Anatko. Brian Hamilton contributed production help. You can find this podcast at Relay FM, and the entire 20 Max series is at sixcolors.com slash 20 Max. I'll be back next week with number 18. <laughs>